Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We're sorry. The number you have dialed is not in service at this time. And welcome to the World Cricket Show, the world's favourite cricket show with me, Adam Bayfield, remember the name, and sat across from me in the studio tonight. It's a man who never walks, he just drives like a maniac. It's Tony Kerr. Oh, morning, afternoon and evening, whatever it is. How's it going this week, Tony? Top of the world, yeah. What a week. Well, we've had the ashes this week. Did you notice, <laughs> Did you notice that that was happening? Yeah. It was fairly exciting, that first test, wasn't it? I mean... Was there enough hype? Given, That's a good question, actually. Given what happened, you'd have to say probably not. The only, the only thing is, there's a danger, though, that the ashes have been overshadowed by the weather. <laughs> <laughs> it tends to happen. So, uh, yeah, I don't know which one I prefer, preferred, but the, the combination, the perfect storm of unbelievably good weather and unbelievably good ashes has made a kind of unbelievably good week. An unbelievably good time. I feel like... An eight-year-old boy, like, all the time, because the weather's so good. You think like one as well. And the ashes is on. A lot of people close to me would say I behave like one (laughs) too much as well. How you spent this last week wouldn't differ that much to how you would have watched, like, the kind of 90... (laughs) I don't know, like, the 97 97 ashes. ashes, yeah. It's true. It's very true, yeah. Very, very similar. Just at the beach... And watching the cricket when I'm not at the beach. And actually, both at times. <laughs> yeah. We watched the denouement of the Trembridge test in the sea. You had it yeah, on, on Skygo on your phone. Stood waist deep in water on Guernsey's most picturesque beach, watching the end of the cricket. It was, it was quite memorable, really. It was very memorable, because that, that final moment when the, uh, when the review was upheld and the, the decision was overturned. I leapt around in the water and managed to, I think, splash some tourists in the face. <laughs> and they were foreign. So there's no way I was able to explain to them why why cricket was important. Very difficult to see the mark on hotspot on an iPhone in direct sunlight. <laughs> but nevertheless, I saw it. It was there. We were just having to go by Atherton's commentary, weren't we? But it was, uh, yeah, it was good. I mean, obviously there was work got in the way of my enjoyment of the sun and the ashes for certain periods of it. Well, yeah, but... I mean, I had to go to work <laughs> as well. <laughs> but to be fair, not, it has yeah. felt like a holiday this last week. And the, re- the reason it's felt like holidays is because we've had consistently brilliant weather. I thought I was the only one who'd noticed this, Tone, the, <laughs> the, the, the heat outside, hashtag heatwave. Uh, it's literally the only thing that anyone's talking about, but I can understand why. I mean, Sunday was the hottest day in Guernsey that I can remember, I think, certainly in the last six or seven years. It was boiling hot, and it has been well over a week now. And it will be tomorrow, Thursday, Friday. I mean, is it too hot? No. <laughs> Up further for me. But I think ratchet it up. I mean, another notch. Britain is is sweltering, isn't it? In in a heat wave, and I I think I think very favourably about the word heat wave because of living in Guernsey, because of living on an island. If I was in London right now, I'd be miserable. <laughs> if you are in London and you're listening to this, sucks for you, I guess. I mean, what are you going to do? Go to the park? Come on. <laughs> no, there is. There's definitely heat waves on islands. Uh, 
made for each other. I mean, at least 50% of our listeners aren't even based in the UK, so a lot of this is, <laughs> this is completely irrelevant for them. Came here looking for cricket chat, got <laughs> kind of weather commentary. But it is, it is worth talking about, I think, because it's just But it's so remarkable. Yeah, it's... And everyone's just so happy. I'm just walking around with a massive grin on my face yeah. all the time. Because it's set to continue for, for the next week or so. I mean, at some stage, I'm probably going to have to start like living my life again. <laughs> like At the moment, it's just drop everything, it's hot. Go to the beach and stay there. Drop it like it's hot. Drop it like it's hot, because it's hot. But yeah, at some point, you know, if it just goes on and on for a couple of months or something... I will have to get on with things. Like I've got this whole, I've got this list of stuff that needs to. <laughs> this stuff. What happened in- again today? Like I've got a real mounting kind of crisis in my personal kind of administration life, where loads of things that I've got to do, like go to the police station to give them my details. Right. Go to the For bank. What? Go to social security. Well, because I've got a parking ticket. Oh, right. <laughs> go to. There's a warrant out. There's a warrant out for my arrest. Yeah, you know, just do all these things which have very definite deadlines. But I'm like, nah, finish work. Yeah, you can't bitch. really mess the police around. You get what seven days to yeah. do that. I've sort of. still got a few days. You can, I'm just you waiting and waiting. I'm playing. You can't be like, sorry, mate. I was down the beach. To be fair, they're probably down the beach. I so. was in the water. Yeah, no, I've got a really long list of stuff as well. Just all this stuff that builds up. I've got to go to the supermarket. I've got no food in the house. Like I come in from I've the beach for like four absolutely days. ravenous because <laughs> I've not been to the supermarket because there's no time. I've got to go to the beach. There's just this really long list of stuff. This stuff is not going to do itself, Tone. The internet is not going to dick around on itself. You'll be pleased to hear as well. I sacrificed an hour of sunshine this afternoon to watch Ash's Verdict, Sky's Ashes Roundup uh, with Bob Willis. Excellent. So you'll be able to recycle so, all of exactly. his So tonight. not only did I, uh, you know, have I kind of bought into the whole sun protection thing and taken a little bit of time out of the sun, but I've also got some opinions to give you now. <laughs> <laughs> some plagiarised opinions. No, I've got some of my own. To rehash. Hopefully. Ashes, 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 ashes. Oh, Tone, the ashes. How about them ashes, huh? Well, blown away. Blown away. Blown to smithereens by the ashes this week. By the first test that took place at Trent Bridge. I was going to go through the scorecard. I'm not sure that people really need me to do this for this game. I'm sure everyone knows what happens. But I'm still going to do it very, very briefly. A bridge version of it. Super abridged. England got 215. England Australia got, got 280. England batting first got 215. Five wickets for Peter Siddle. Uh, did, <laughs> Peter Siddle. <laughs> five wickets for Peter Siddle. Didn't look like it was a massive first inning score, but uh, <laughs> didn't look like wasn't one. <laughs> but, but, and well, but it began to look like it might be uh, more than enough when Australia were 117 for nine. But then a world record last wicket stand <laughs> between Peter. Peter Hughes, Peter Hughes, he changed his name from Phil Hughes, uh, 81 not out he made. And Ashton Agar on debut, 98, a world record score for a number 11 batsman, and he did it on debut as well. Jimmy Anderson took 5 for 85, eventually Australia were all out for 280, that was the first innings lead of 65. England were in big trouble at 11 for 2 when Jonathan Trott went first ball, but they fought back through a brilliant 100 from Ian Bell, and half centuries as well from Peterson, Cook and Broad. 65. They were all out for 375, set Australia a target of 310, and then there were a lot of twists and turns in that Australian second innings. But when they were 231 for nine on the final morning, it looked like the game was over. But then there was another last wicket stand, this time Brad Haddon, who made 71, and James Pattinson, 25, not out. It got very, very nervy. They went into lunch needing 20 to win, but Jimmy Anderson took the final wicket. Brad Haddon caught behind on review. 
uh, and Australia were 296 all out. On review, as the Four. Australians might say. <laughs> on review. On review. <laughs> on review. Uh, 14 runs short. Uh, so England go 1-0 up in the series. So, Nicole Kidman, the great barrier reef. <laughs> Saw this coming a mile off. The incumbent Australian Minister for Foreign Affairs, Bob Carr. Your boys took one hell of a beating. <laughs> what are we going to talk about, Tony? Not a lot of incident in this game, so what yeah. we, where should we go? Went off relatively uh, kind of quietly, didn't it? Jokes aside, though, what an incredible well, I mean, test match. To sum it up, you know, if I wanted to give you what you're going to say to me in about, you know, I don't know, 30 seconds and to ape the style of popular comedian Stuart Lee, it would go something like... Test match pinnacle, Ashes cricket, nothing like it. Full houses, no, no, nothing wrong with Test cricket these days. There you go. Do it again, but I can't so, really do okay. the stuff. Right, Facebook.com slash cricket show. <laughs> like us there. Yeah, what a game though. You know, Test cricket, it's not the pinnacle, Ashes. Uh, up there, I would say, with the best Test matches of the modern era. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to say this though, not to kind of kill your buzz, but it wasn't as good as Edgbaston in 2005. No, I, I wasn't going to say that it was. So I, don't I, even go there. What I was going to say is like only Edgbaston in 2005 and possibly Trent Bridge 2005, uh, for me, surpass it in terms of England Test matches of my lifetime, I would say. And, you know, I can only think of uh, Kolkata 2001, India, Australia from outside Ashes cricket of being alongside it. I mean, very, very exciting finishes. I can think of quite a lot of those. You know, often that, those kind of nine-wicket draws, even Auckland this year, would be, you know, as exciting a finale as this. But in terms of sustained excitement, sustained drama, you know, I, I can't really think of anything other than Edgbaston and Trent Bridge from, from that series eight years ago. Yeah, I agree. I, 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 there weren't men... Oh, no, I don't sound like a... Like I wasn't into it, because that would give the wrong impression. But I, I slightly disagree. I don't think there were quite as many really tense sessions here. Well, I don't know. I mean, the, the first day the, there was, yeah. with England collapsing, uh, you know, just the way that every time it seemed like England were pulling away, whether it be on that first day when they, they got off to a reasonable start, or, you know, then in the second innings when Australia were 117 for nine, but then that, you know, last wicket stand with, with Agar and uh, Hughes, the momentum was constantly shifting in this game. Just so many twists and turns. Hollywood scriptwriters would have probably struggled to, to put that together. Like even, uh, who's a good scriptwriter? Diablo Cody would have, would have struggled to put that together. The Wayans brothers would have struggled <laughs> to put that together, I would say. Look, there were some good, uh, there were some good moments. I was particularly excited, you know, when, uh, when Cowan went, in Australia's first innings, that was a real first that was a real must watch kind of I was really thrilling Ashes, obviously cricket, stuff. Yeah, pinnacle. I was loving it at that point. You know, watching uh Agar do the business, that was a really kind of an incredible kind of thing to witness. Some of England's second innings was quite tense, and obviously the last morning was very, very tense. Uh but you know, there were passages there weren't there were quite slow passages of playing. Yeah, the but test. but even those were extremely absorbing oh, because yeah, it was on no, a knife edge all the time. Fantastic. I mean, yeah, it's it is very easy to sit here and say this is the best test match ever because well, it's the most recent it. one. And they've said that Bell's innings is the best one he's scored for England when they've probably said it Yeah, every and single I, I'm time. Not, I mean, I'm not trying to necessarily agree innings. with that. Yeah. Great innings though it was. He has played some fantastic ones, you know, in other circumstances against better attacks than this, like the South African attack. Yeah, it is very, very easy. I mean, Henry Blofeld on TMS said that it was the best test match he'd ever seen. Maybe he honestly believes that, but I, you know, I, I find it hard to think that he wouldn't have said that about Edgbaston in 2005. Headingly 1981, etc. It's pointless though trying to trying, oh, to, trying yeah. to rank it. It was a fantastic game, you know. Whether or not it's the 
the best ever. It doesn't matter. It, it was absolutely brilliant, and it certainly lived up to the hype, uh, which is no easy thing given how much it was hyped. At the end of it all, though, Tane, did the best team win? Yes. Yeah, credit, obviously credit to Australia. They did a lot of, well, quite a few good things in the test. Uh, there were some good performances, but I thought it was, you know, it was a fairly predictable result. I saw a lot of people, uh, when it looked like Australia winning, a lot of people coming out on, on Twitter and the like saying, God, like, who are these people who are writing Australia off? Uh, you know, I think a lot of pundits need to go and look, take a long, hard look at themselves and stuff. And, you know, Australia were possibly better than the likes of both of them might have given them credit for. But still, you know, but for uh, quite remarkable and kind of hard to explain partnership between uh, Hughes and Agar in the first innings, it obviously would have been, well, and the 10th wicket partnership in the, in the second innings for Australia, it would have been a very, very much more comfortable victory. Yeah, the two last wicket stands contributed almost half the runs that Australia scored in this game. Yeah, I mean, and obviously that is part of the game. You've got to take 20 wickets. You can't, you can't expect teams to just to fold afterwards. But Yeah, and it's, it's well done to Australia for yeah. doing that. But, you know, it's not going to happen every time, is it? Even with this unusually no. strong Australian And England tail. have benefited from that in the past. You know, in, in recent years, they've gained really decisive results and series results because of rearguard actions. But... You know, from kind of what we looked ahead at the start of the, the series, you know, there's not much to worry about in the Australian batting line. It doesn't seem on the basis of this test. We've kind of been backed up on that. You know, England's batsmen did the job. They got enough runs. Well, they did in the second innings, but they, they didn't in the first innings at all. And this is a, Well, they didn't, oh. but then, but for Agar and Hughes, Australia would have been 100 behind. Well, yeah, but I mean, that would have been full credit to the bowlers. But, you know, I think England were probably at least 100 runs light on first innings from where they would have expected to be. But yeah, I think I think it would be hard to argue that over the course of the five days, England weren't the strongest side. But given that Trent Bridge was very much seen as Australia's best chance to win a Test match in this series, and given that England are notoriously slow starters in Test series, it's the first time that they've won the first Test of an Ashes series since 1997. Uh, and in all sorts of recent series... They've had a poor opening game and then sort of come back. So given that they still managed to win this game, does that spell big trouble for the Aussies? Double trouble? You know, England are only going to get better, presumably. Yeah, it is a problem. And, you know, from what has come out even since the Test match about the kind of internal politics of the Australian dressing room, you know, things aren't getting easier for them. And this result will have burnt them because to come that close and lose must be demoralising. But, you know, the way they played, you, don't, you can't see England whitewashing them. I think that's, that's too much. Big problems, you know, if they lose, if they lose the second test, there's no, they've got no hope of winning the series. Yeah, if they go 2-0 down with three to play, that's surely the Ashes gone, given that, you know, two all wouldn't be good enough. Uh, they'd have to win all three games. I can't really see that happening. So to an extent, for the sake of the series, you have to hope that England don't win at Lords. But as an England fan, that's, that's not what I'm hoping. But yeah, I mean, I'd, yeah, I'd like to see a good game in the second match. You know, if, it, if it's anything like this, it's going to be a fantastic watch. But yeah, Australia are, are by no means out of it. And, and as you say, to an extent, this test match panned out more or less exactly as we expected it to. You know, the Aussies competing hard, but in the ending and just having a little bit too much for them. But there's no reason why that will be exactly the pattern in every game. A, a Michael Clark special or a, or a burst from James Pattinson you know, could easily swing one of these games in Australia's favour. And if they if they do it at Lords, the narrative of the series changes and, and going into that break between the second and third test, the much-coveted momentum uh, will be very much with Australia. So, you know, there's a lot of cricket left to be played in this series. 
Um, and there are some huge positives for Australia to take away from Trent Bridge. The performances of Peter Siddle and Brad Haddon. And we've mentioned it already, but that Ashton Agar knock was just sensational. The highest score by a number 11 in Test history. But then he might be the best player to have batted at number 11 <laughs> in Test history. I mean, he just he certainly didn't look like a number 11. Some of his shots were great to watch. Credit to him. It, 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 sport is brilliant for these kind of things because when he was selected, everyone went Ashton who? Even, he didn't even perform with the ball particularly. He did all right. He did pretty well. But you wouldn't have expected a million years that it would be uh, a ridiculous innings coming in 11. Crazy. Obviously, England you know, hadn't really done too much homework on him even as a bowler, so much less as a batsman. Uh, but he was just playing incredibly confidently and fluently and just playing really, really good shots, like a late cut off Graham Swan that was a much better shot than almost anyone else in the Australian batting order is capable of playing, uh, it would seem. And so I don't think it's too much of an exaggeration to say that Agar looks like an actual batsman. You know, he could be a, a potential all-rounder for Australia, potential number seven maybe in future. And he certainly didn't give his wicket up in the second innings either, did he? He stuck around and, and scored a few runs. And, you know, if he's going to keep doing this, it is problematic because at the moment I'd probably say I quite like him. He, he came across as very likeable, uh, particularly his interview after the match. But, you know, if he's going to keep doing it, then he's going to feel my wrath. <laughs> yeah. uh, he doesn't even have the decency <laughs> to be really annoying. He doesn't he even have the decency to be like a, a Shane Watson who was hated to begin with by us, uh, but has won us round. <laughs> Watson's really won me round. It, it might... I don't know, possibly it would surprise some listeners to know that I used to absolutely detest Shane Watson because now he's one of my favourite cricketers. But yeah, I used to really not like him at all. You know, he just kept doing, you know, really dislikable stuff like canoe down rivers to save people from forest fires and things <laughs> like, just really selfish stuff like that. And yeah, Ashton Agar just came across incredibly well, didn't he? Uh, re- really enthusiastic, but, you know, feet on the ground. and uh, feel like me. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, I, thought, I watched that interview. I thought, she reminds me so much of my mate Tony Kerr. No, no, it's good to see. And I have to say, you know, from an England fan's perspective, Australian cricketers are so much better to listen to in interviews. England's cricketers are desperately bad at interviews. Just so boring. Well, not all. I mean, Graham Swan's well, all yeah, right. Okay, I'll give you Graham Swan. Graham Swan's good. Peterson yeah, can like, be good. It's not up to the England cricketers to be really entertaining in interviews, but I do prefer just hearing an honest opinion and the kind of, you know, if it starts with our look, you know you're going to get something good. Well, it's certainly true that uh, the Aussies are, are winning the PR war in this series so far. Michael Clark gave a couple of cracking interviews during the test as well, so I guess that's some consolation yeah, that they're guys. winning the PR yeah, battle. We like you. No, actually winning us over. Yeah, I'm not sure there's a more boring man in interviews than Alistair Cook. I mean, wonderfully boring. But, <laughs> Probably but, a really nice, like, very fun guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm about, sure. but. He's a bit like Tim Henman, I think. Like, I'm sure, like, cool to hang out with, but just so deadpan in interviews. Yeah, you just want a bit of honesty, don't you? And a bit of just a bit of insight, which you don't really tend to get. Uh, but yeah, coming back to Agar, I mean, as I say, I think a potential all-rounder, this might be an exaggeration on the basis of one game, but you can't necessarily even rule out... <laughs> You've never done that before, have you? <laughs> you can't necessarily even rule out you know, batting higher than that. I mean, don't forget that uh, Steve Smith and Cameron White both originally came into the Australian side as spin bowlers, but eventually stopped bowling altogether and just became top-order batsmen. Uh, and yeah, Agar's batting was much more impressive than his bowling, it has to be said. I mean, he did take a couple of wickets and should have had another one, of course, which we'll come on to a bit later. But for the most part, England played him relatively comfortably. 
And it was a massive call, I think, to leave out Nathan Lyon from this test. Not a call that I would have made. There's no way that they can drop Agar now. Um, and, and nor should they on the basis of one game. You know, If they've made this call to go with him, then they've got to give him at least two, if not three, tests before they make that kind of decision. But on the evidence of what you've seen, much as his batting was sensational, if Australia have got Ashton Agar as their frontline spinner, are they going to win this series? Possibly not, but that's maybe not the reason the reason for a potential defeat uh, he wasn't bad was he you know he did take a couple of wickets and on the other side of it you know swan wasn't that impactful so you know maybe maybe later in the series agar and swan will both come into it a bit more yeah maybe and it was swan, just the the pitch the conditions yeah. it didn't really bounce did it which is an underestimated aspect of, uh, of a spin bowler's armory and, and swan does rely on bounce quite a lot and he didn't really have it and that was a problem it's difficult to judge his bowling based on this match alone so yeah, I mean, yeah, he, he deserves at least one more test, but I don't think England will be too worried about him as a bowler. I mean, how satisfied will England be with their performance, do you think? They weren't quite at their best, didn't get nearly enough runs in the first innings, as I said, but still managed to, to pull off the victory. Uh, yeah, well, I think they'll be very satisfied. I think they'll be very relieved because it did get very close. Uh, defeat, clearly defeat, we'd be talking about a very different situation now. Uh, and it wasn't far away from that. And there are there are question marks that are getting bigger over some players' heads, floating in around kind of in Mario my, in my head. world kind of way. <laughs> it's like the Mushroom Kingdom. <laughs> yeah, but that shouldn't undermine what was a very good win and what can be built on. I think in the series and equally Australia. Here you go. I've just thought of one. Sorry, I've interrupted your flow there. It's like the it's like Mario. It's like the Mushroom Kingdom. Do you think Steve Finn's going to get an extra life? It's good. Do you like that? to bang his head into some blocks what to get one <laughs> right, yeah. that's where you get it from isn't it well it is yeah but that's, that's a very literal <laughs> doesn't really apply to the real world does it i think he needs he needs a star doesn't he then he'd be invincible yeah and he'd just run through no, go back to what you're saying before yeah, just, going nowhere. Yeah, you've, you've really you've really dragged me down a, a kind of pipe yeah <laughs> Uh, it's uh, it's a bit 50-50, I think, in terms of question marks, though, on each side. If you were to visualise a number of question marks above each team, there would be a similar number on each side. There are 50 on each. There could be as many as that. There is a lot, you know, there's a lot of thinking to be done, or a lot of de- well, a few decisions to be made in not very many days. I personally wouldn't make any changes. You're probably going to ask me that in a minute. That was your next question. I'll preempt you on that. Uh, no changes for me for England. If I was Australian selector, I'd be chopping Cowan. Uh, but that would probably be my only change. I agree that Cowan looked all at sea in that game, didn't he? And, and he probably needs to make way, but I'm not sure who you bring in, given that they've sent Warner to South Africa and Kawaj is averaging 30 or so on this tour and not in great form either. From England's perspective, I think you know this game was uh, pretty much one off the backs of a couple of players, wasn't it? it? You wouldn't say it was a brilliant all-round team performance. I mean, people chipped in, Cook and Peterson with half centuries, Trot got 48 in the first innings, broad did well actually took took a few wickets important wickets and, and a half century in the second innings but really it was Ian Bell and Jimmy Anderson wasn't it that, that set up this win if we talk about Bell first I mean that that was a fantastic knock we discussed it on the preview he was under a little bit of pressure having not had the most productive year prior to this I mean we didn't mention in that preview and perhaps we should should have done and I keep saying we but really it was it was me wasn't it that was that was saying this uh Perhaps we should have mentioned that in that time, while he's not been at his best, he has still played more than one match-defining innings, scored a century in Nagpur to to help draw that test and and seal the series. And his 70-odd in Auckland saved that game and therefore saved that series. I mean, people talk about the prior innings. People talk about Matt Pryor as being the hero of Auckland. 
But actually, Ian Bell's 70-odd was more important because runs were irrelevant at that stage. The fact that Pryor got 100 didn't matter as much as the fact that Bell batted far more time. That was the thing. So really, Ian Bell was the hero of Auckland. <laughs> there you go, rewriting history. Very much so. Um, so it's not as though Bell's not been pulling his weight at all, but he's not been dominating Test cricket in the way that he was for a while in 2011. And I think it is probably no coincidence that England's slight post-2011 drop in form came at the same time as Ian Bell's post-2011 drop in form. You know, England are a much, much better team when he's at Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. His best. Um, and it was a great time for him to turn things around. A fantastic innings in very challenging circumstances. Australia were bowling really well in bowler-friendly conditions. So yeah, you can't really give him enough credit for that. And he, you know, he's such a likable guy in Bell, isn't he? And you know, he's been around forever now. One of only three players in this series to have played the 2005 Ashes, along with Peterson and Clark. Yeah, and you forget the kind of question marks were hanging over his head for a long time at the start of his career. I mean, he was... Uh, like the first four years of his career. He was constantly least. under the microscope in the similar way to, I don't know, maybe he's comparable to a Bairstow now. You know, people didn't like his face, I don't think, to begin with. Uh, thought he was a bit lightweight. He did look a bit like a, a bit of a walking wicket for a while. I remember when he came in and got a first baller in that oval test. Yeah. There was definite concerns. At that point, I was calling for him to never play again. <laughs> but, I mean, and then clearly the, the complete swing into 2011 when the kind of form he put together would be remarkable for any player in, in any era. Uh, it was a great year. So, yeah, I think there's no, there's no worries about Bell for me. So, yeah, it was a great game for him and it wasn't a bad game for Jimmy Anderson either, was it? It's bowling like you. Oh, that's very nice of you to say. Yeah. You used to expect me to be nasty. It's the summer, the sun's out. Could <laughs> yeah. it be nice? You're in a good mood. Uh, well, he got a, a five-wicket haul in each innings. Uh, so that's not really like me at all, is it? I, <laughs> I don't think I've ever taken a five-wicket haul in my life. Um, I got a four-wicket haul once when I was about 16. It's memorable. Yeah. I've, I've taken a few three-wicket hauls, but... Yeah. Wait a minute, back to Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> we can talk about me yeah. some more if you want. Yeah, I think I took a twofer. I remember in, uh, 2000, twofer. I remember in 2002, I got uh, three... And then another three. <laughs> you know, a five-wicket haul in each innings for Anderson. That's the second ten-wicket match haul of his career. And how about that delivery to dismiss Michael Clark in the first innings? Well, like another example of something in cricket where the most recent kind of exceptional incident is the best ever. Yeah. Everyone said to him, that must be the best ball you've ever bowled, Jimmy. I'm sure I've heard it about ten times well, people before. people said it was the ball of the century. <laughs> that was the immediate reaction. That's the ball of the century. Uh, and yeah, Anderson sort of did deflect those sorts of questions. Uh, it was well, an thought. incredible delivery. But yeah, the way it was kind of commentated on in the immediate aftermath, it's that kind of... I mean, yeah, obviously it will go down 
as a memorable Ashes moment because it, it was it was such a great delivery and such a big wicket. Yeah, I mean the, the guy. Yeah, it's not the ball of the century. It's not you know. Whereas Shane Warne to Gatting, you can sort of say was the ball of the last century. You know, with reasonable confidence. Brilliant though this Anderson delivery was. It's yeah, it's not it's not head and shoulders apart from you know lots of other good balls, is it? Um, also, <laughs> one of many balls. There's the other aspect of the commentary on that delivery. You know, that that was his first wicket of the game, and with that, he went third on the list of all-time wicket takers for England, overtaking Fred Truman, which is impressive. But we talked about this when he got to 300 wickets. It's a good stat. But I'm not sure it's nearly as important as a lot of the commentators seem to think. And, you know, when he clean bowled Michael Clarke, right, bear in mind, very important stage of the game in the first innings, Michael Clarke, the most important wicket, and it was a phenomenal delivery. He ran up, bowled it, knocked over the off stump, and Hussain went, <laughs> he's gone past Truman! <laughs> like... It's because he's got it written down in front of him. He's got this page of players with, like, two or three key stats about each. I just don't care. Like, I mean... Again, you know, cricket to an extent is nothing but stats. So stats are obviously are really important, but I really don't care. Like when it's a world record or when he goes past both of them and becomes the all-time for England, that will be worth commenting on. Uh, you know, Ashton Agar, world record for a number 11. That's notable. But if it had been like the seventh highest score for a number 11 on debut, I really don't care. Like you don't need to keep on telling me and just saying he's gone past Fred Truman. Well, I guess Truman is, interest is an icon, so... Well, it, 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 I, he's I only an icon because boycott goes on about it so every much, sentence. Yeah. But I guess you know it, it kind of demonstrates or illustrates that Anderson now is in that is in that room, isn't he, with Truman and Botham and Willis? Yes, which is cool and everything. No one below four. Again, again, we said this when he got three hundred wickets. You know, that's brilliant. Like it's phenomenal achievement. Well done, Jimmy Anderson. But he's still five hundred short of Murley. Murley took eight hundred Test wickets. That's an Anderson more than Glenn McGrath. Like, that's phenomenal. Anderson taking 300 wickets is brilliant, but you don't need to go on about it like it's, you know, the most important aspect of the test match that's being played. (laughs) Um, Anyway, do you think England are maybe too reliant on Anderson? I mean, in this game, he took all four wickets on the final morning, didn't he? And Cook had nowhere else to go. I mean, he bowled a 13-over spell off the reel. Yeah, I don't don't really buy into this whole kind of opinion that sports teams are reliant on ever reliant on one exceptional player because it's because they're exceptional that they you know they stand out uh that's pretty obvious obviously but there is an element in this test match certainly that if you take anderson out of the game england wouldn't have won it well yeah i mean well if you just took him out and they had 10 players (laughs) but you mean if you took him out and replaced him with say onions yeah they probably wouldn't have won but likewise if you took bell out the team they wouldn't have won so you know someone puts their hand up you know broad and finn and swan we're all very, very good bowlers. Yes, Jimmy does the business very often and has done it for a number of years now, but equally, Swan is world-class, Broad is capable of being world-class, and Finn could and should, but might not be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and the way that Anderson's been talked about in, in some of the uh, newspapers and stuff after the game, they're almost annoyed with the rest of the England team <laughs> that they're not as good as that. But it's like, well, you know, just be appreciative of how good Anderson is, and you know, if you took Dale Stain out of South Africa, they wouldn't be as good. It's just something to appreciate. Yeah, and you know, and he's in really good form. So yeah, Anderson took ten wickets in this match. He took seven in the Test uh, against New Zealand at Lords. Then you have to go back to Kolkata where he took six, and Lords uh, versus South Africa where he took five to find, and that was August last year to find out. You know, find matches when he's taken more than five in a match. Broad's done it twice 
uh, against New Zealand this year, taking more than five wickets in a match. Took 11 against the West Indies last summer in a game. Uh, Swan took 10 against New Zealand in Leeds, eight against India in Mumbai, six against uh, India. In, so, you know, Broad and Swan have done it more often, have been more dominant wicket term, in wicket-taking terms than Anderson has been in the last year, probably. That's actually quite interesting, Tony. You've provided Thanks. quite an interesting That's statistical why I'm here. nugget there. That's uh, why you're here. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, clearly Anderson... That's not why you're here. <laughs> I don't really know why you're here. Clearly Anderson is in really good form and he dominated this test match. Uh, but yeah, you know, one of one of the England attack is likely to put their hand up because they're all very good. That's the point I'm making. Yeah, and as you say, Anderson's just in brilliant form at the moment, isn't he? I mean, I, he is England's best bowler, but he's also in sensational form. He's bowling as well as I've ever seen him bowl. Cook did keep on going to him, but maybe he'd have kept on going to Broad if Broad was um, at the top of his game. Uh, it is a bit of a concern for England, though, because, you know, the number of overs that he bowled in this game, he can't keep on doing that through this series because he will break down at some point. I mean, already he it seemed like he was struggling a little bit on the final day. A huge part of the problem there is that he bowled, I think, something like three times as many overs as Steve Finn bowled in the game, and it did seem like Cook didn't really trust Finn. He, he wasn't prepared to throw him the ball when he did throw him the ball on the final day, it all went very badly wrong uh, and almost cost England the match. Well, well, his two overs cost 24, I think. was staring kind of scapegoat status down the barrel, wasn't he? At one stage, you know, he didn't bowl very well. It was a good effort, but he dropped what would have been the match-winning catch. Uh, and also, he as well made a couple of fielding errors. Like when the ball just like ran past him and he didn't see it at <laughs> yeah. all. Uh, you know, people would have, I think, hated on him a bit. And I feel bad for him because I think he's a brilliant bowler and he's certainly got a big future for England. And I wouldn't normally say after one bad game that someone should be dropped, but he did look like he was very short of confidence in that in that test. I mean, he, the next game is at Lords where he's got a great record. It's his home ground, of course, but I don't know. I'm not sure that, you know, if Cook doesn't feel like he can entrust him with the ball, I'm not sure that he should really be picked for this next game. I wouldn't be too surprised to see Tim Bresnan come in for him at Lords. Although, actually, I, I think that Graham Onions might be quite a good option. Get the ball wobbling around like a, a like a second Anderson. <laughs> Get the ball wobbling around like a Waboba. <laughs> Stuart Broad had quite an interesting game. Uh, took some crucial wickets. Uh, delivered with the bat for the first time in a long time. I think it's his first Test match half century since the UAE tour in 2012, and he'd only averaged 13 in between those half centuries. So it was a good time for him to to turn that form around. But you know, there's probably no getting away from the fact that his match is going to be remembered for one thing, and that is the incident. <laughs> when he was batting in the second innings, which I'm sure everyone's seen, but basically uh, Ashton Agar was bowling and uh, Broad just edged it to slip, just edged it to Michael Clark. I mean, quite a, like a massive edge. It wasn't like a nick or anything. He just kind of slapped it to Clark at first slip, but stood his ground and Aline Dar didn't give him out. Broad copped a lot of flack after that, didn't he? People saying he should have walked. What was your view on it? Do you think he should have walked? I've had a lot of time to think about this, but I still haven't really come to a conclusion. It's so blatant on the replay. It feels, it's strange that he didn't walk, I think, because you know it wasn't a, it wasn't a nick. He just full full batted it, didn't he? Pretty much. So yeah. I'm surprised that he didn't just walk off. Yeah, I mean, people but, did say it was unbelievable acting skills from yeah. him because. But exactly, but you know, if he was, I don't know what was going through his mind. If he, you know, if there's an attitude in the England camp that's, you know, any time you you edge it. You just stand there till the umpire sends you on, sends you packing. Whether he hit it and then he stood there for a minute and then it was too late then to walk, <laughs> yeah. so he just waited. Then the umpire's too late for the umpire to give him. 
and then we got on with it. Oh, you, th- you think the umpire thought it was out, but he, he just waited. But both of them thought it was too late to make the decision. <laughs> I don't know, genuinely though, you know, if he, stood, he, he might have been thinking or he might be like, oh, what's happened? I'm just going to stand here for a second. Uh, doesn't get given. So in that sense, I don't think I've got a problem with him standing there. It is a very interesting one. I mean, I think in an ideal world, he would have walked. But I can understand why he didn't. And I think to an extent, like, until you've batted in an Ashes test match, it, it's probably quite hard to say whether you would walk or not. But that's assuming that he, his attitude was, I've hit it, but I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, not going to walk. You're thinking that's his, that, his conscious thinking. He's consciously saying, I won't walk. Well, I'm, I'm, he must have done. I mean, I, I know what you mean. Like, he just waited to see and then it, it went too far. But he could have turned around immediately and walked off. Like you would if you kind of you know slap one to short extra cover, you wouldn't wait for the umpire's decision then, would you? No. But as I say, I, I can understand why he didn't walk. I mean, the Australians famously don't walk. There's almost like a perception that they do, and that's because of Adam Gilchrist. But no other Australian really has ever walked. Michael Clark this year in Chennai um, stood his ground after uh, edging one to short leg. I mean, to be fair to Clark, he didn't say that he thought Broad should have walked. He he said he could understand why he didn't. And then what's also very interesting to me is that you know Brad Haddon didn't get a whole load of stick for not walking on that final wicket of the game when he said afterwards that he knew that he'd hit it. Does it make a difference, do you think, that it's so obvious that Broad Well, it shouldn't, out? should it, at all? No, it definitely shouldn't. It shouldn't matter at all. If you know that you're out, you should, you should walk if you're going to walk. I think that's why people got so upset with Broad, because there's just there's no way that he can pretend that he didn't know that he was out. But if Brad Haddon comes out and says yes, I knew I hit it, then there's absolutely no difference between him and Broad. Michael Holding's point is quite a good one, I think. Uh, he was sort of saying, why is it acceptable to, to not walk, to stand your ground when you know you've edged it, but it's not acceptable as a fielder to claim a catch that you know hasn't carried? And I haven't really got an answer to that. And he'd asked it of Andrew Strauss, and he didn't have an answer to that either. He just sort of said, well, that's just the convention. But really, there's no difference. Both things are cheating, aren't they? Um, Perhaps, perhaps you can have a think about that. So for next week, I can't, <laughs> I cannot think of any logical reason why it's different. That's a good question. But in general, the the, the DRS did come under a lot of scrutiny in this game, didn't it? Um, and when when that uh, had in decision was overturned, Atherton on commentary was sort of going, "Oh, it's it's another DRS controversy." Was it a controversy though? I mean, isn't that exactly what the DRS is designed to do? The umpire made a a wrong decision, not necessarily a bad decision, but a wrong decision in not giving him out. England reviewed it, proved that it was out, it was over 10. Yeah, it was all very straightforward. Got to the right decision. Very peculiar match in terms of the DRS. Uh, Clearly, the broad decision was the wrong one, but completely counterbalanced by uh, the Agar decision and the uh, the trot inside edge, uh, which were bewildering. Literally, the only person watching the footage who didn't get the correct decision was the third umpire, which is bizarre. And that's why I found it a bit odd that the reaction in large parts of the media was, oh, this is, you know, big problems with the DRS. It's not the technology that was at fault there. It was the application of it by the umpires. Like, you just need better umpires then, don't you? Yeah, ludicrous to play it to say there was any problem with the DRS because there wasn't. Apparently wasn't. There there, there was the problem with the trot thing that Hotspot wasn't available from the side on angle. But that's because uh, Sky wanted the the route dismissal hotspot. So maybe there needs to be some tinkering there in that you just you can't do that. You've got to have hotspot available all the time. So that's something that can be changed. But it wasn't the technology. It's not like, yeah, there was a you know, a mark appearing on hotspot when the ball looked like it was miles away from the bat. It was nothing like that. It was just 
very badly used by the man in the third umpire's chair. It wasn't so much a bad game for technology as it was a bad game for the umpires applying it. And therefore, it makes me even more certain that we can't go back to a pre-technology game. Like if, If you were to react to this happening by getting rid of the technology and therefore increasing the capacity for human error. That just doesn't seem to make a huge amount of sense, I don't think. Well, of, of course not. Uh, I mean, yeah, assume that the technology is not there. Trot inside edges one onto his pad. It's given out. We see the replays and we go, this is ridiculous. He's, he's, caught, a huge, uh, he's caught a huge edge here onto his pad. Why can't we review it? That's the maddening thing is that it review, you know, goes upstairs and they still come to the same decision. I, I don't understand it. And I want Erasmus. I want to hear from Erasmus. Does he, does he now say... I want Erasmus on trial. <laughs> no, but, Erasmus you know, in the dock. What is his explanation for giving those decisions? I mean, he, if you asked him now, do you agree that it was the wrong decision? He'd have to say yes. And people forget just how many controversies there were in test matches before the DRS. You know, even thinking about that 2005 Ashes... Every game, there were shocking decisions going on all the time. It was not any maddening, but it, you know, it's it's bad for the game as well. And as you say, if there'd not been technology in this game, there would have just been a lot of bad decisions by umpires that couldn't have been overturned. So yeah, the, the arguments against the technology just don't hold a lot of water for me, but they certainly get a lot of airtime in the media, don't they? So we roll on to Lords now, Tane. What's going to happen? It's on. 10-0 is on. It's still on. We should have a kind of rolling... 10-0 countdown. <laughs> yeah, both of them still pretty confident, I think, in that. What's going to happen at Lords? England win. You think they'll carry on their momentum? I think they'll, I think they'll, they'll carry them. Uh, or possibly a draw. <laughs> so An Australia win is always a possibility. That is, that is not going to be ruled out by me today. <laughs> Much like the heat wave that's currently engulfing Britain, this episode of the World Creator Show has been intense and sweaty and has sapped everybody's energy. <laughs> It's probably about time, therefore, that we brought it to an end. Have you enjoyed this one, Tone? That's been pretty good. Almost as enjoyable as the test match, but not quite. And almost as enjoyable as the heat wave. But not quite. So, <laughs> so it's just like, you know, at the moment, uh, you know, you've got the cricket, you've got the heat wave, and somewhere below in third, lagging <laughs> in third, is the World Creek Show. But that's no bad thing, you know, that's two very big... Stumbling along afterwards (laughs) in third place comes the World Cricket Show. Bronze medal for the World Cricket Show. (laughs) We should probably mention what happened to Guernsey's cricketers in the ICC European Division 1 Championship. We talked about this last week, didn't we? We spoke to Guernsey captain Jamie Nussbaumer. I think they'd only played one game when we spoke to them last week. Who had they beaten Norway? They'd beaten Norway. Well, they got to the semi-final on Saturday, big semi-finals day at Hove. They managed at the to beat teams like Austria and Sweden and Gibraltar. They lost to Italy. They lost to Italy in the group, so then they got to the semi-finals uh, at Hove and they, they, their game was against Denmark. Didn't quite go to plan, did it? No. You know, it's a good effort for them in the week. A bit of a shame that they couldn't produced a bit more. They were quite disappointing in the field. Yeah, uh, well, Denmark, Denmark batted got... first and, and Freddie Clocker, who was by far and away the top run scorer in the tournament, I think scored 126 or 50-odd balls, which was fairly decisive. And then, yeah, Denmark Gern- got, what, 220, yeah. 230, I think. Yeah. And Guernsey got 200 and 110, 111 for nine off their 20. So, you know, disappointing. Big defeat, uh, but it's a strong Danish side, isn't it? Strong Danish side, young Guernsey side. So there's definitely a good future. Uh, it was quite disappointing there because you know, I'd set up on Saturday with the, the Ashes on the TV, streaming the Guernsey match on my computer. You know, they were doing live streaming. I mean, uh, 
credit to ICC Europe and all, all the, the people down there. Really good, good information and good, uh, good setup. Uh, but they had some technical difficulties with the streaming, which meant that which meant that we were able to see the first ball of the Denmark innings and the first ball of the match, which. Uh, last week's guest and Genzi captain Jamie Nussbaumer bowled a wide and then it froze. <laughs> That's <laughs> like Bayfield. That, that is a Bayfield yeah. moment. Uh, and it froze. So we joined it like kind of like late on in the innings. Uh, <laughs> so it was a bit disappointing. By which time Clocker had clobbered Genzi all around the park. We should speak to Jamie about but it. But we'll at catch some up. Point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but he's, what, is he busy tonight? I think they might still be away. I don't know. Drowning their sorrows somewhere. Well, if they'd won that semi final, they'd have been going to Dubai for the World 2020 qualifier. Uh, but they're not because they lost it. But uh, but as we say, it was a great effort. Yeah, and hopefully, you know, hopefully they can build on it. Let's get a great setup. So tell you what, if I keep taking wickets in <laughs> evening league division two, you can't rule out a call up. Can't think of anything more depressing than sitting at home watching you live streaming on the internet, <laughs> getting smacked around by some Danish ex county player. Wide four, wide <laughs> six, 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 wide. Uh, I'd like, well, I probably would pay to see that. <laughs> <laughs> You'd pay to see that for your own entertainment. Though. It would be quite funny. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, that's about it for this week. We're going to be back next week uh, with a full report on the Lord's Test. As we said last week, when there's Ashes cricket going on, we won't be far away. We're going to be all over it like a towel across a sunbed. Or, sorry, to do the Aussie impression like Tane did last week. We're going to be all over it like a towel across a sunbed. That bit last week when you attempted to do an Aussie accent and it came out Birmingham, I think that's the funniest thing you've ever done on this show. Right, thanks. Which probably puts it in the top 50 or 60 things, funniest things that have ever happened on this show. (laughs) Funniest thing you've ever done. Our friend friend Ollie listened to the episode and and said to us, said to both of us when we were there, that uh, he was like, oh, you should should have like some kind of Bayfield Impressions corner, Bayfield Impressions segment on the show. And you got quite angry at that point. You were like, that's all it is. That's all the show is, which is very true. I mean, you do spend your entire week just kind of fabricate. Well, first of all, going out and trying to find stories that will allow you to do your silly accents. And if not, you just fabricate them, yeah. I think. I've got an elaborate anecdote to bring you now involving Ian McKellen and Kermit the Frog. Right. Wait a minute. Murray from Flight of the Concords has turned up. <laughs> Right, I'm shutting my laptop, Adam. It's time to go to the beach. Back to the beach. Anyway, that's about it for this week. That's about the third time I've said that. Uh, between now and next week, uh, if you want to get, if you want to get more, in, if you want to so get more, that. if you want to get, if you want to get, if you want to get more involved in the World Cricket Show, go to the internet. Uh, if you go to our online website, www.cricketshow.net, uh, you can listen to the show on there. You can download the theme song for free. And you can purchase World Cricket Show t-shirts as well, just £15, including free shipping to anywhere in the world. As we've been saying for the last couple of weeks, not a lot of t-shirts left. Uh, I sent out quite a few this week, actually. We're kind of running out, so if you want a t-shirt, order now. Order yours today. Uh, On that website as well, you can link through to all the other stuff, including the iTunes store. And if you go there and write a review for us, we do hugely appreciate all of those. You can send us an email, worldcricketshow at gmail.com. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cricketshow. 
And if you also check out our Twitters, my Twitter... I, uh, I spent my weekend in far too salty and sandy places to tweet, unfortunately. <laughs> so uh, I, I kind of lapsed a bit on that, but I will get back into it this week. Well, I tweeted Promise. a bit. I tweeted to the point of annoying some people, I think. Didn't you get a tweet from someone that was like, Adam's gone berserk on Twitter, wind him in for us, mate. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, I'm tweeting at Cricket Shows. Tony's tweeting at Tony Cover, T-O-N-Y-C-V-R-R. Uh, and both of us, certainly me, I'm going to make sure Tony does as well. We're both going to be tweeting as much as possible throughout these tests. Uh, so get involved there. Uh, but that's it for this week. It's the fourth time I've said that now. Stay in the cool, everyone. Do you like that? Stay in the cool. Uh, stick to the shade. Wear a hat. Get lots of fluids on board. Damp clothes. Uh, but yeah, enjoy the sunshine. Enjoy the cricket. And we will see you all next time. Quite exciting, isn't it, to think... You know, in a week's time, we'll be sitting here again. What will have happened? <laughs> well, anything. Find out next week. <laughs> yeah, exclusively. exclusively. Find out exclusively on the World Cricket Show. We'll arrange for the Lord's. second test to be played behind closed doors. <laughs> uh, and will be anyone's watching. See you next time, guys. Fun. Falling to me a lot. Right. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.